Um, if you're in the hallways and you can hear my voice, come on in. We're going to get started this morning. Find a seat. Hope you got a donut and a cup of coffee. Some of you probably skipped a donut, went for the coffee. Note of praise, um, after that very, very heavy rain, we only had one little leak. Um, so the Lord protected our building last night, so praise the Lord for that. It happened to be in Pastor Rick's office, but, <laughs> but, he, but he was happy to take that. So, Well, um, we had a change in plans uh, this morning um, by the providence of God, um, and a hard one. Uh, Tom Askell's brother... Um, suffered a severe stroke. And we first recognized it on Facebook. I, I, I think Rick shot it to me and said, hey, this is on Facebook. And so um, I text Tom and said, Tom, <laughs> what can we do? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he, he felt so, so upset. He wanted, he's been, we'd planned this for so long. And, um, and he literally, if I had told him, yeah, you should be here, he would have done it. But, of course, I would not do that. And family has to come first. Um, people in the ministry give up so much time with fa- for family and, uh, and so forth. So I said, Tom, if you believe you need to be there, we will reschedule this. So Tom, very graciously, full of gratitude and lots of promises that he is going to come back, um, took advantage of that and now is with his brother. Um, his brother's not doing well. Um, and... Uh, so you can pray for the Askell family. Tom, on the post, I believe it said, Rick didn't say, one of the most godliest men I've ever known. Um, and a very close relationship with his brother. So <laughs> so what do we do now? <laughs> uh, well, I got thinking, and um, I had asked Kelly Smith quite some time ago, and, and he's been getting ready for this, to uh, do a class on a BFG hour for six or seven weeks for our church on the topic of grieving. Um, And we've titled it Grieving in Christ. I have seen a lot of churches put on grief seminars and places where you can go if you've been through a divorce or you've lost a loved one. And I've looked through so much of their material and and much of it, not all of it, but much of it is, is just, it doesn't really have the hope of Christ in it. And so I charged Kelly to write a class of, because I think there's a lot of people who need to, to sit, do a class like that. If anyone in here has suffered in some way and you have grieved and maybe you still struggle with that or want to help others, uh, we just thought this would be a good class. So I <laughs> made a phone call. I said, Kelly, would you do an introduction to that class this morning? I said, everybody's going to be expecting Tom Askell. Uh, but uh, I think some of you have heard Kelly teach, and some of you know his testimony, and so he is very well aware of grief. Um, so I asked him if he'd do an introduction this morning to that class, and uh, uh, we're going to get that scheduled after the first of the year. He's almost done writing it. I think it's six or seven classes. Is that correct? Um, and uh, and I think this might whet your appetite towards it. Uh, and maybe you'll say, and again, I said this, but I want you, you may, you may say, I, I, I don't think I'm grieving on, I haven't had a loss or something like that, but I want to help people. It might be a class you might want to jump into. Uh, so without further ado, you get to hear Kelly Smith, retired pastor for 32 years up in Nashville, Memphis, excuse me, Memphis, 
wrong part of Tennessee, um, served the Lord for many, many years. He's been bus driver. He's done everything you can imagine in ministry. Um, he's become a very dear friend, very encourager to me. So, Kelly, come up and uh, tell us what God's laid on your heart. Give him a hand. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Uh, when Pastor Scott reached out to me um, and asked uh, if I would fill in this morning, I'm going, who can take the place of Tom Askell? So uh, I just appreciate your patience with me this morning as we've been able to navigate the, the changes. Um, grief, good grief. Where do, you, where do you begin in that subject? Uh, there are so many different ways that we can, uh, we can go through that process. Uh, I put this first slide up here for you because we're going to be uh, in the scriptures, obviously, because so much of what is said and written today about grief, they've made it so sentimental. They have presented it many times as paralyzing. Some want you to bask in it for your whole life. You say, well, what, what is the Christocentric biblical pattern for grieving? Because you, you see that throughout all of scripture. So I've, I've titled this introduction this morning, as you can see here, A Story of Grief. A Story of Grief. Every person in this room and your friends and family all could relate, communicate a happening a fact or event in their life where grief came and visited their home. So this morning we begin with the story of grief. What is your story? Everyone has a story. Many of you know in BFGs that I've taught and speaking here back in April of last year, my story, losing a wife to cancer, and then a year later, or about 11 months later, losing uh, my 22-year-old son to suicide. So we all, have, we all have a story, a recounting of events to relate a personal sense of experience related to death. It's an actual event. It's historical. It's in your life. It's forever imprinted. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. We're going to focus on that in just these 
few moments this morning. Pastor Scott has asked me not to give you the whole load. <laughs> so I'm just going to give you a brief introduction because we're going to be talking about several things in our BFG on handling grief, what to do when you encounter it. Someone has said the Christmas season carries heavy expectations that often more resemble hallmark images than the quiet expectancy of celebrating Christ's birth. Let me repeat that. The Christmas season carries heavy expectations. Expectations that often more resemble those Hallmark movies than the quiet expectancy of celebrating Christ's birth. We all picture those festive gatherings with family and friends and brightly wrapped gifts under the tree. Those wonderful meals and laughter around the table with those loved ones. What a wonderful time of the season is Christmas. Yet for some, and maybe even here this morning, for some, this holiday brings a sense of dread. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to go to a movie on Christmas Day. We have in the past with our families and you notice there are people maybe scattered through the movie theater that are by themselves. You wonder, what's going on in their life? What are they dealing with this holiday? I remember the firsts. Oh, I remember the firsts. The first Mother's Day, the first Thanksgiving, the first Christmas, the first birthday. Those firsts are sometimes so debilitating and paralyzing. Some have said that grief is a process. Some have said that we can get to the other side of grief. Some have said that grief is something one never gets over. And you may have heard this morning in the past what we know of as the five stages of grief. Grief is a road that every person must and will travel. Incidentally, in case you did not know, the death rate in our world is 100%. There are, in the Greek language, in the New Testament, there are nine different verbs used to describe grief. Nine. John MacArthur has said this, 
Because there are nine different verbs in one language to express the concept of grief, it is a good indication that grief is the way of life. We know when we read of Jesus, that description, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. It's a part of our lives. It will never be removed until that day when we step forth into the kingdom of God and we're forever with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sorrow. Grief. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14... I begin here because there are many different passages that deal with grief. But I begin here because Paul is dealing with a very young church. Very young church. They were young in the faith. And he had been there and he had taught them. But they did not have that encouragement when it came to their loved ones who had died. In fact, Paul taught that Christ would return and his imminent return was so imminent that they were expecting him at any time. And here's this young church and he hasn't come back. And their loved ones who had died in Christ were dead. There was discouragement. The resurrection, our loved ones have died. They, they could not go to the shelves in their home and pull out the scriptures and turn to Revelation. It says we are more than conquerors. Amen. They couldn't do that. The scriptures had not been brought together complete. So all they had was what Paul would encourage them at the church here at Thessalonica. So they were young. They did not have a good foundation only by what he had said. Here we have the complete revelation of God. We can go to Job. We can go to the Psalms. We can go to Revelation. We can read about those who are grieving, but they did not have that. So he was assuring them. He was assuring them. Now notice he says in verse 13, brethren or brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, brothers and sisters, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Now that word ignorant is very interesting. It's a, it's a present active infinitive. It's, it's a verb of saying, listen, I, I want you to stop being ignorant of this. I want you to stop being ignorant. I want you to have this information. Well, what is the information that he wants them to have? Concerning... Concerning, concerning, he says, those 
who have fallen asleep. Those who have fallen asleep. It's interesting, the word here that Paul uses for falling asleep is that euphemism of those of your loved ones who have died. Now think about that for a minute. He uses a very tender term here to fall asleep. One commentator said it is never used in the New Testament of falling asleep of unbelievers. In the New Testament, this term falling asleep is is used for believers. It shows us that death is nothing more than sleep. When our loved ones die, who die in Christ, fall asleep. When you have someone in your home that falls asleep to take a nap, you don't call 911, do you? No. Because you know they're going to wake up. You know they're quietly resting and they will awaken again. And you will have contact with them again. This is why the New Testament regards the death of believers as nothing but sleep. Now think about that for a moment. Our loved ones who have died in Christ are asleep. The scriptures teach to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Their soul, their very spirit is with the Lord Jesus if they were a believer. That mortal body that's decaying is just asleep. In his PhD dissertation entitled Cremation or Burial... Choosing the disposition as a final opportunity to worship through praise and worship. Sean Unthank has said this, that early on believers referred to those who fall asleep where they were being buried as a dormitory. A dormitory. A place where they fall asleep. In fact, if you look at this terminology of falling asleep, it literally means a sleeping place, a room of rest. This word is used at first for a dormitory or a place where people sleep. Later on, the early Christians took the word cemetery from this root word. And it was a name that was an optimistic name for the graveyard. This sleep, he says, concerning those who have fallen asleep, it only applies to the body. For we know that the soul and the spirit is with the Lord Jesus Christ if they were believers. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.8 tells us. There are many outside of Christian circles who advocate soul sleep. 
But that's not what the Bible says. This metaphorical use of the body sleeping is appropriate because the body, when it is dead, appears to be sleeping. In fact, the word here that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 concerning those who fall asleep Sean Unthank has said that Paul is using a gentler term here for the dead. Those who are asleep are temporarily restrained from the fellowship with the church. I love that. Paul is answering this question of theirs when he says Jesus' death and resurrection guarantees God will bring back with these very dead at Christ's return. Notice it says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. But Paul says something very interesting here in this passage. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow or grieve. Now, I want to stop here for just a moment. Lest you sorrow or grieve. We're going to ask, we'll answer that question a little bit later on here this morning before I close. Is Can a believer grieve? Of course. Does a believer grieve? I think some of the most unhealthy way of grieving is you stuff it and you put on that Disney World smile and you say everything is just fine when deep down inside you're hurting. Grief is to be expressed. There is a number of passages and we'll talk about that in our grief class, Old and New Testament, of how grief is expressed. We'll look at the unhealthy ways to express grief. As a retired pastor doing many different funerals, there was such a contrast in doing funerals of those who were truly believers in Christ. There was a celebration. There was rejoicing. Yes, there was sorrow. And then there were those funerals where the loved ones who were surviving would literally fall into the casket and you could not even get them away from their loved one who had died. They, they, they had no hope. They had no hope. You see... Notice what Paul says here, lest you sorrow or grieve. Now, it's very interesting because it, it carries with it, the, it's a verb and it's a passive verb. And it's speaking of something you do. 
You do. You have the option here of grieving. You have the option here of being sorrowful. But there's a contrast here. And underline this. Lest you grieve or sorrow, notice, as others, like the rest who have no hope. Those without Christ have no hope. We grieve, but our grieving is different. Our grieving is is, is of sorrow that we lost this person. But, but listen, have, have you ever noticed we say, well, we lost them? If they're a believer in Christ, you didn't lose them. You know where they are, right? Have you ever noticed we say that? Oh, uh, I lost my wife. No, you didn't. You know where she is if she's in Christ, right? So Paul's challenge to these believers, these new believers at the church at Thessalonica here is, listen... Don't be grieving as those others in the world without hope. You have hope. And what is that hope? Is hope is that that body who died in Christ will one day be resurrected. And the, and the spirit and the soul is in the presence of the Lord. Folks, that is hope. That is hope. And then he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do you believe that? It's a historical fact, right? This hope is not based on a fairy tale. This hope is based on a historical fact that Jesus Christ died. And on the third day he rose again. Amen. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. I don't have time to go into the, the intricacies of the Lord Jesus bringing those souls with him to be united with that resurrected body. Wow. Isn't that awesome? That's the, the, the infinite became an infant. Amen? The infinite became an infant and grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And he went to that cross, defeated death and sin on the third day, rose again so that your loved one who died in Christ will one day live as he lived in the body. Amen. Wow. That's hope. That's hope. So what is grief slash sorrow? Well, it is an emotion. It can express itself in distress and pain. We usually use the word grief to express what a person feels in the moments of intense sadness at the time of the death of their loved one. 
But the Bible uses this more freely and more often in reference other than death, believe that or not. Grief can be a response to the trouble that one enemies cause. Grief can be brought on by the foolishness of a child, such as Isaac and Rebekah were grieved in bitterness because of the wives that Esau chose. We have the grief of Isaiah as the result of people forgetting God. God himself can be grieved or troubled about our sinfulness. Grief is important because it is a response to the troubles of a fallen world. I think of what John said in the book of Revelation is, he will wipe away our tears. Now, some have said, is there a difference between grief and mourning? You know, a lot of times we use that term interchangeably. We define mourning in this way as how the feelings of grief are shown to the public. They are acts or behaviors that, that show the sadness or hurt that someone is experiencing after they lose someone. Mourning can be revealed, uh, revealed as an outward sign. It can manifest itself in the sorrow of the death of a loved one, but it includes rituals of planning, funerals, wearing black, whatever it is that is an outward expression of what is taking place on the inside. Mourning is more of the outward expression of what someone is going through on the internal. It is a state of mental pain and anxiety. It can be a state of sadness and sorrow and distress. It is eternal. It relates to our thoughts and our feelings that accompany losing that loved one. It can be a deep pain. It can be an absolute anger or desire that you want to die, to be with that person because you love them so much. Should Christians grieve? Yes, they should. Don't waste your grief. Don't waste it. You grieve. We have those moments of, of intense emotional need to express when we're hurting. It's okay. But we grieve not as the world grieves. We should grieve. Why? We grieve because even though there is sorrow, we let those in the world who are lost, we are a, a walking advertisement to them. 
is that, yes, our loved ones have died, but we have a far greater hope because that loved one who died in Christ will rise again. Yes, we grieve because we have hope. How does a person go forward into this new life? In our class that hopefully will be starting in January, I'm going to be looking at lamenting and the companion of joy. Lamenting and the companion of joy and how a believer we can go before God and lament. Many of the Psalms teach us about David lamenting and how the companion to lamenting joy comes. And we're going to talk about that in our class. So, here we are this morning. What is your story? Well, let me tell you my story. I was expecting to spend the rest of my life with my wife and raising our family, having grandkids, uh, celebrating we even purchased a timeshare here in Florida. One day we would see retirement. And I will never forget that day. It was February 13th. My wife had been having a lot of difficulties and we had calls back and forth to the doctor. And it was February 13th at about 4.30 that afternoon and he said, come in. We need to look at what is going on. And I remember at 1 o'clock in the morning on Valentine's Day, as my daughter and my son were waiting in the waiting room of the hospital, there was no one there. She'd gone in emergency same-day surgery, and he came and he said, she has cancer at stage 4. And just like many of you who've heard that diagnosis in, in a family's life, how devastating that is. So there began our story. And we began that process, as many of you know, who have had loved ones who have passed from cancer. But my wife had such an incredible testimony. She said to me in this process, and she knew she was dying, she said, now don't you go get a mourner's bench. How many of y'all know what a mourner's bench is? When you go to the cemetery, they have those little granite benches that are situated by the gravestone where visitors can come and sit there and meditate. She said, don't you do that. You better not build a mourner's bench by my tombstone. She goes, I'm not there. 
I'm with Jesus. Well, for those next 14 months, we cared for her. And, and that day happened. It was 3.10 in the morning. We were holding her hand, and the Lord took her home. He took her home. Yes, I grieved. Yes, I grieved. Yes, I agree. But my grief was not without hope because I knew where she was. But I grieved because she was my wife and I missed her. Grief. How do we go forward? Well, I thought I was going forward. God brought into my life Miss Gale, who is my second wife, and I use second wife because my first wife has passed. She came home from work and found her husband passed away in the recliner. She had said goodbye to him earlier that day, and they had talked, and she comes home and finds him passed. She knows. And God brought us together because we knew each other from uh, her husband who led the music at my former church years earlier. And we reconnected as I was praying for her and God just brought us together. And we set a date to be married. It was in September. And little did I know that morning on 9-10 in the morning, on September 10th in the morning, that at 11.30 my son would die. My son would die. He was having trouble with the death of his mother. He was a senior at the university there in Memphis, he had clearance from Northrop Grumman. He was going to go on and, uh, to get his doctorate at Georgia Tech and work in the defense aerospace industry. And I got a call at 9.30 that night that he was having trouble. And so Miss Gale and I, we go over there, we try to calm him down, and it appeared that things were okay. And then at 11.30 that night, his girlfriend called me and said that he had shot himself. So I went and got my daughter. And we went to the scene. And there was the yellow tape. And there were the police doing their investigation. And then began that process all over again. We go to the next slide. I have a question to ask you this morning. Are you a victim or a victor? Notice here. 
Jesus Christ. He says, I saw heaven and opened it a white horse and he was riding on it. It was called faithful and true and trustworthy, loyal and corruptible and steady. And in righteousness he judges and wages war on the rebellious nation. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many crown, royal crowns. And he has a name inscribed on him which no one knows or understands except himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. You see, Christ's robe was dipped in blood as he went to the cross to redeem us, but here he is a victor and his robe is dipped in blood because of the judgment on wickedness. We are more than conquerors. You have a choice. You can be either a victim or a victor. No, I'm not trying to offer you a Psychological placebo. Yes, there are those moments when I still grieve. Yes, there are those moments when I think about what my son could have been. I understand that. But I think about how God changes us sanctifies us in the process of what we're going through when we lose a loved one. Diane wrote, My first husband, Bruce, and my three children, Scott, age 11, Mary, age 8, and Laura, 5, were killed in a private plane crash which I was seriously burned on December 1st. Diane writes that when I got out of the burning plane that afternoon of the accident, knowing my family was dead and that I was burned, my first decision as a believer is I wanted to die so I could be with them. She said God reminded her through the scriptures, that we are not to choose our death, that he plans our death. Knowing that I could not cope with the grief, knowing that I could not cope with the loneliness, knowing that I could not cope with the physical pain of losing my husband and my three children before my very eyes, I told God that if he wanted me to live, I would give him everything and he would have to cope with the grief, the loneliness and pain, and I could not. Now listen, she said this and it is so true. Nothing changed in my external situation. Nothing changed. Her three children perished. Her husband perished. Nothing changed in the external situation. However, with God, everything changed. Everything changed. She submitted and cried and had those moments of grief and sorrow 
and God sustained her. She refused to be a victim, but a victor. Now I close with this. What is grief? Should Christians grieve? And how does a person go forward into a new life? But I want to ask you as the church family, how can we, the church, help? There are those here who have suffered losses. They have lost mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, and children. There are those here this morning where a young mothers have miscarried. We have them here. There are those who are struggling, those who have had a divorce or maybe working through a divorce. They're going through some type of inner turmoil, distress. How can we help them as the church? What is our responsibility as the body of Christ? We're to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We are to weep with those who are weeping. We're to comfort those who are comfortless. I, I want to encourage you this morning as we close this session. I want you to turn over to first. Thessalonians chapter 5, just right next door. And look at verse 12. And I want to challenge you here with some application of what we as the church can do to help those who are grieving. It may not be related to death. It may be related to a wayward child. It may be related to a divorce. But listen, Paul writes, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. So how can we, the church, help with those who are grieving? Don't grieve your elders. Don't grieve your pastors. Hold them in esteem as they bring God's word to you. Yes, even pastors can be grieved. They can feel that inner sorrow. They can feel that inner sadness as they in and out amongst us laboring. Don't grieve your elders. Don't grieve one another. Notice he says in verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Ooh. Warn them. They're unruly. They're acting up. When you're unruly, you grieve the body. When you're unruly, you grieve your elders. You bring intense sadness and sorrow. Then he goes on to say, comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. Folks, listen. If you're grieving here this morning 
because you've lost a loved one. If you're grieving here this morning because something has happened to you and it is really grieving you, you, you have to tell somebody. And we as the church should surround those whose mothers may have miscarried. We as the church should surround those who may be going through a divorce. We as the church should surround our elders who have the, 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 the pressure of ministry. It says that we are to uphold the weak and be patient with all. You know, we are, we are, we're the most canceling culture and it should never be in the life of the church. Be patient with all. Be patient with all. It was six weeks after my first wife had died of cancer. And I was walking through a, what we call a fog. And I was really hurting as a pastor. And I just really didn't know who to reach out because you... As pastors, we're perfect. We don't need anybody. And I certainly wasn't going to be transparent to tell somebody that I was hurting. We had vacation Bible school. And in a small church, pastors help with VBS. We got through the vacation Bible school. And one of the sweet ladies said, I want to meet with you. I said, okay. Little did I know that I was going to be read a four-page single-space letter. <laughs> you know, when you get a single-space letter, you're in trouble. <laughs> Listing of all the things that I failed to do during VBS. <laughs> I went, okay. Deep breath. I'm sorry. We prayed and the meeting ended. And I got to thinking, how many of people are like me here who are walking around, who are grieving, and we are so ready to say, well, you haven't been here. What are you doing? You see, when people grieve of losing their loved ones or they're going through a traumatic experience, sometimes they don't want to talk. But we as the church should be patient with all. If grieving has taught me anything, it's taught me to be patient with people because you don't know what they're going through. Grieving. We are more than conquerors. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? Amen. Ms. Gail and I are, are going to be over here to side. And I want to pray for you if you would like us to pray for you. And I want to say something else to our young people here. If there's anyone here that you know of that is contemplating taking their life or you know someone, would you please come see me? Reach out. 
We need to minister to those who are hurting in the life of our church. Let's pray. Father God, I am so thankful that the infinite became an infant and we get to worship and celebrate the Godhead in the form of this baby named Jesus. I lift Pastor Scott to you as he will be bringing the message to us. I pray for Pastor Tom Askell. I pray, God, you would give him strength as he ministers to his family and as his brother is going through this uh, recovery for the stroke and just how difficult that is. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this room. They have a story. They have a story of grief. They're hurting here. This first Christmas is, is not pleasant to them at this moment. I pray, Father, for the comfort of your Holy Spirit through the word that you would show them in your word that you are sufficient. I thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.